Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back yet again to another episode of the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. I am here with just Tyler this week. Unfortunately, Francis is not feeling very well, so he won't be joining us. Uh, but Tyler, how are you doing? I'm here. I'm back. Uh, yeah, I'm doing really well today, Polly. Thanks. Uh, it's been a really busy week, super, super busy week, especially as I gear up to go to Saudi Arabia uh, at the, on Sunday. It's all been confirmed now. I'm, I'm attending Leap next week. So, yeah, it should be super, super fun. So it'll be an even even busier week for you next week, I imagine, being in oh uh, Saudi. Yeah, I'm just sort of finalizing my last few interviews, um, but yeah, it's, it's it's looking it's looking lively, and I've I've uh, been told that there's going to be a few people that we know uh, already out there, so that's, that's going to be really good to see them. How was your week, anyway? No, my week has been pretty good as well. Like you say, a bit hectic, a bit busy. Uh, glad it's you know coming to an end. Looking forward to the weekend. I think and just having a bit of a a bit of a chill one. A bit of a chill one. Um, but I mean we're into February now, right? January flew by, and now here we are in February, and it's you know still a, a everything's all you know just all a go in fintech. So I mean, what are you going to be talking about today? Well, today I'm going to be talking about a new article that we've just finished uh, from Bitcoin Swiss. And it's joined the Liquid Collective. So we're going to be sort of diving a little bit into Ethereum and liquid staking, which is really, really cool. So, so yeah, quite a topic. What, what are you going to be talking about? Yeah, awesome. I'm going to be looking at retail banking, uh, particularly in South Africa, after a, a new report uh, came out on the industry there. Uh, so two very different topics, but I think uh, I think we'll be good. Uh, good chat this week. Thanks, Polly. Well, yes, as I uh, was just mentioning in the intro, this is about the Liquid Collective uh, and the recent addition of Bitcoin Swiss to its membership. So Bitcoin Swiss is uh, a Swiss cryptocurrency firm based in Switzerland, and it's joined the Liquid Collective, which is like a liquid staking protocol. Uh, and it was sort of developed and founded by a series of Web3 and DeFi companies. So really, really super cool. It's, it's very complex. When when I first came across this lead, I was a bit like, oh gosh, this is I'm in deep water now. But essentially to understand what's going on here, we have to sort of look at how blockchains are usually secured. If we look at Bitcoin, many people will be familiar with Bitcoin's proof of work uh, mechanism that it uses to sort of like validate transactions create new blocks and secure the blockchain in general. Now, basically what proof of work is, is it it's, it depends on like computing power and users must validate their new blocks with their own computing power. They must mine their own cryptocurrency to, to establish the, the, the legitimacy of transactions. Of course, as we've mentioned on this podcast a lot before, uh, this process of proof of work is very, very energy intensive. And for this reason, Ethereum, which is sort of the focus of the article here, uh, switched to an alternative mechanism last year called proof of stake. 
Now, what proof of stake is, is it's like a voting system. So you have things people call validators, users call validators. And essentially what they do is they stake their Ethereum behind a block. So they're almost like voting for blocks that they think are legitimate. When they stake Ethereum in this way, it becomes locked. So you can't trade it. You can't use it in any way. You can't move it. It's sort of it sort of becomes locked behind the, the the block that they voted on. Now, to become a validator, it does take 32 Ethereum coins. I'm not really too sure about what the onboarding process inside the blockchain looks like in that regard. But um, just to sort of move away from that, uh, the Liquid Collective, where it's concerned, is within this sort of staking process within Ethereum. So essentially what the Liquid Collective does is it allows people, users, to make stakes in the Ethereum blockchain and it gives them a receipt that can be used in uh, DeFi or Web3 projects. And essentially it allows users to earn rewards for staking their Ethereum while also allowing the capital to remain its liquidity, which is why uh, it refers to the term liquid staking. Bitcoin Swiss is one of the first integrators to move into the liquid collective and it will open out the liquid staking market in Switzerland, which is really, really exciting. What was really poignant here in this article is that it talked a lot about the, you know, the associated volatility with the crypto market and how a lot of people have sort of maybe lost faith in, in, the, in the technology in some ways. And it was sort of like, well, you know, it's so volatile. How are we ever going to make any any sort of um, income off of it? Well, this is sort of like an alternative way that you can do that. And the thing is with Ethereum is that it's also less energy intensive, uh, but also less scalable than, than proof of work that Bitcoin uses. Um, but it does sort of ensure a way to create new blocks and secure the foundation of the Ethereum blockchain while allowing users to to make rewards. So it's a very sort of like complex, uh, complex concept in how blockchains actually work. And I would encourage people to sort of go and read the full article because we probably can't can't discuss all of it here. And we've got some really fantastic insights on the article. Uh, but Polly, I was just wondering, do you think this sort of thing should be more widely adopted in A, securing the blockchain and B, maybe moving its sort of reputation away from something that's extremely volatile to something that can actually be used as like an investment uh, wealth generating tool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you'll have to forgive me because when it comes to like blockchain and crypto, these things just do go over my head a little bit. So if I start gibbering nonsense, I do apologize. Um, But no, I think... Moving to sort of proof of stake and liquid staking can only be a positive, at least from from my perspective, purely because, like you say, with the the volatility, but also just the sheer amount of energy uh, that it takes to validate a transaction and add new blocks to the blockchain. You know that that's it's a lot, and it's something that we see time and time again how much, uh, like you know, energy these things take and how many trees you need to plant in order to offset the emissions and and things like that so to have um a situation where people can still get you know their cryptocurrency mined etc and be using proof of stake and liquid staking i think can only be um a positive 
and, and especially obviously liquid staking being the focus of the article you know to be able to you know take your token and receive a receipt for that token just seems to make a lot of sense to me i'm i'm sure there are some people who who don't like that sort of thing as if am i right in thinking that it's a little bit more centralized if you do liquid staking like there's a bit more of an oversight which i know people like using cryptocurrency because it's so decentralized and because there you know there's no oversight in that respect um but i feel like just in terms of sort of security and performance surely surely staking in this way is is a really positive thing at least uh from what i can see of the situation um and i guess like you're saying about the volatility it's something that i'm always a bit thingy about um i'm always a bit sort of not wary that's the wrong kind of word but when it comes to using cryptocurrency i feel like there's there's cryptocurrency as like an investment and then cryptocurrency as uh, a currency and those are two very different things even though they are the same it's still cryptocurrency but the way you use it is is can be very different and of course the volatility affecting crypto as an investment well you know you just say that's the way of the market and that's the risk you put in it whereas cryptocurrency affecting the volatility of a currency that's got a little bit more issues there but just in general i know the market is really having a moment at the a moment at the moment for want of a better phrase um all this like crypto winter and things like that so maybe taking a little bit of the volatility out of the equation actually could promote things for the better and actually get the market to be in a slightly better standing at least i think it would definitely generate a lot more interest in cryptocurrency because a lot i know if if you are sort of well informed about the whole thing i think you are put off by the fact that it is volatile and you can lose all of your investments very quickly and and things like that so i think it's an interesting situation and i wonder if um if more tokens and, and other currencies will be going on to the sort of liquid staking model in the future. Yes, absolutely. I think it, I think it, over, liquid staking sort of does really well to overcome the problems that, that you highlighted in the, the, the proof of uh, uh, stake mechanism. Is that what, what it also highlights is when you stake Ethereum, there's like an on, uh, unbonding and bonding period. So even if you want to unbond it, there's still like a process of a couple of days or maybe even a few hours to, to do that. And I think that sort of overcomes that aspect of it. As as you did touch upon the, the centralized uh, nature of this process, it does sort of rely heavily on, on anybody who has the most Ethereum. If I had half of the world's Ethereum, I could completely decide in which direction the blockchain went, right? So... Yeah, there is that aspect to it, but I think that I think that the Swiss market will be um, open to adopting this. I think that there is enough interest within Europe uh, as a region in in general. There is enough interest to sort of maybe start driving this process forward. Um, and of course, I think on sort of like the DeFi and the and the Web three front, I mean that's that's really coming forward now. And I think that that association that the collective has with that industry, I mean you know, it was founded by by the community itself. I think that will also do a lot to sort of like drive that aspect forward. So we've got a lot happening here. Uh and it is it is very exciting. Like but in terms of the, the centralized nature, I think yeah, you'd have to have quite a lot of stakes for in order for that to, to come to fruition. Yeah, I think it's just one of those it's just one of those things, right, that you kind of have to just watch the market and see how it plays out and just go from there. 
Yeah. Anyway, well, we we might we we could talk all day about this, but what do you uh what do you got on the books for us today, Polly? Yeah, sure. So a bit of a, a U-turn from uh liquid staking and cryptocurrency. Uh, but I wanted to talk about um, a new report uh, that has recently been released from the Boston Consulting Group, um, all about the banking industry in South Africa. So essentially, uh, it kind of concluded that retail banking very much needs to evolve uh, in order to survive pressures from challenges in the industry. Uh, so obviously, COVID-19 very drastically changed how consumers view and want to interact with their banks. But I feel, as we've said before, you know, there was already that that appetite before COVID-19 uh, happened, but COVID really pushed things along. Uh, so a- another report from uh, BCG in partnership with Discovery Bank found uh, how 80% of South African customers would prefer to do their day-to-day banking digitally, uh, while 60% would be comfortable using a completely digital bank. Uh, so with the importance of digital offerings really sort of hammered home throughout the pandemic and, and now as well it's obviously becoming a little bit difficult for traditional banks to to really keep up with the offerings of newer challenger banks um and so you know especially when we think about sort of personalization and tailored banking services challenger banks are really starting to to lead the way so um it was interesting from the Boston consulting group the managing director uh, of the group uh, was sort of saying how retail banks are in a competitive starting position but need to adapt um, and it's this adaptation that is really important for for their future survival so they benefit from high levels of consumer trust obviously and strong brand awareness as well as you know skilled long-standing sca- staff in general um, and this can play a really important role in an omnichannel customer relationship but without change these incumbents really start to be in a bit of hot water really um, and face separation from customer touch points as well as start losing access to customers and their viable data in the process so the bcg report really found that traditional banks might find it difficult to reposition themselves to meet these new uh, digital expectations um whereas a challenge bank obviously you know they're all in in place already to offer these digital options so it was an interesting read really i think the general thought, uh, which is a thought that we've seen time and time again, is uh, collaboration. And collaboration is the way forward to start moving the industry forward. Because obviously, you know, challenger banks have, they have the digital options ready. They have the sort of agile uh, behavior that they can sort of get uh, things to the market quicker. However, banks still hold the large customer bases and that consumer trust which is is very important. So the banking landscape may very well lend itself to collaboration between traditional and challenger banks uh, in order to sort of help the end customer experience and meet those requirements. Um, and then sort of without doing that, obviously the digital uh, and the digital newcomers uh, and other people are, you know, ready to sort of take customers away from the traditional banks. Um, so uh, there was a lot of information, uh, but Tyler, what do you think about this? I know sort of competing versus collaboration and and things like that is something that we've spoke about a lot at the FinTech Times over the past couple of years, um, specifically when thinking about banking. Uh, but what do you think? Is it is it a is it a world of collaboration or 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 what is it all about? Is it all about just trying to compete for the customer attention? I think that you know we we have spoken a lot about sort of this co-opetition word and. 
and col- collaboration between the challengers and the incumbents. I think personally that that there always needs to be this sort of level of uh, competition within within the market. You need to have competitors in order to have the drive to improve yourself, right? But I think in terms of abilities and the sort of interchange of of um, capabilities is really really important between this sort of challenger and and incumbent relationship if we look at later on in in the article it talks about the use of data and how that's become sort of increasingly important to uh to consumers it really reminded me of the behind the idea that we published this week with bankify that really sort of uh talked a lot about this relationship between consumers and banks and especially this is a little bit more in in business business banking with bankify but it it did speak about this need to better manage data and this was actually something that would brought brought to light throughout the the last year in fact in in the way that um we had findings of net app for example that found that 60 percent of consumers didn't trust banks with their data and i think that it goes on to talk about the use of AI models in analysis of consumer data and in the provision of banking services. And I think that that really is something that the relationship between challenges and incumbents should seek to solve is this sort of use and and safeguarding of consumer data. I don't think that there's going to be a massive shift to challenges anytime soon. If anything, I think that people are falling back on the incumbent banks that they trust, even though these these challenges with their data persist. But I I would really urge anybody really working in the banking industry to utilize their consumer data to the best of its ability to to really reap the the benefits in the services that they provide. Yeah, I completely agree, and I I, I agree with everything that you you just said and. It's just one of those things, right, that, that fintech and, and these um, challenges are always going to be there to sort of try and take uh, the customers. But then that's the joy of fintech, right? It's it's about encouraging that competition. Uh, but yeah, there is there is room for, for working together, for sure. And it's it's a topic that we always seem to be come back to, right? Like this isn't the first time we've spoken about it and I doubt it'll be the last time we've spoken about it. So it will be really interesting to see how things sort of play out um, from a banking perspective, you know, because it's been sort of, we've had, we've been having this conversation for two, three years now. So is it ever going to get to a point where things kind of sort of resolve themselves or is it just going to be an ongoing thing? Um, so that's a really interesting one to think about. But no, I mean, that brings us to the end of our stories today. Uh, obviously a, a brief one since Francis isn't here, but thank you, Tyler, uh, for bringing uh, your story and your discussion. If you want to hear any more about anything we've talked about today or you just want to know more about the fintech industry as a whole, head on over to the Fintech Times, uh, where you can read all sorts of news and insights all about the fintech industry, uh, all right there online. Um, But why don't we move very swiftly on to what I learned this week. So each week, we learn so much new information being on the editorial team, uh, so much stuff, uh, news and insights about fintech crosses our desks all the time. So we thought it'd be fun to share that with our listeners. So Tyler, what did you learn this week? Well, Polly, this week uh, we were looking at the FCA's January review of its consumer duty deadline, uh, which is the 31st of July this year. And it was it really wasn't good. It um, they, they found that a lot of people who 
the consumer duty will apply to really aren't that prepared for this deadline to come. And again, <laughs> I talked about the underutilization of data in in that preparedness. So yeah, we've come back to data again, full circle. Um, but yeah, the the January review of the consumer duty really, really worth a read. What did you learn this week, Polly? Yeah, that's really interesting for sure. Um, so I learned uh, all about the Isle of Man's Intratech scene. So I was at the Isle of Man uh, last week for their Intratech Accelerator demo day. Uh, and I was learning all about how uh, lucrative their insurance industry is uh, and their their insurance industry, particularly uh, life insurance, represents 22.4% of the island's GDP. So I thought that was quite interesting because it's probably quite unexpected for such a small little island. Um, but anyway, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me uh, once again on this podcast. It's been fabulous uh, to chat to you. We d- we don't need Francis. I don't know. We don't need Francis. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to come back. That's just it. No, you know. No, he's cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> but no, thank you so much. Um, and I'll catch you on the next one. Oh, I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Polly. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the FinTech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the FinTech Times.